Welcome to Startup Success, the podcast for startup founders and investors. Here you'll find stories of success from others in the trenches as they work to scale some of the fastest growing startups in the world. Stories that will help you in your own journey. Startup Success starts now. Welcome to Startup Success. Today, David Greenbaum is joining us, who is the founder and CEO of OnPlan, his second startup. David was the CEO and founder of Boost Media as well. So it's great to have David in the studio. He has so much experience. David, welcome. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate uh, you having me, Kate. Thank you. So I'm excited to talk to you. I want to get into On Plan and what you're doing there because I've heard so many good things about it from the Brooklyn CFO team. But before we get into that, I want to talk and tell people about Boost Media because it's so many people, it's the dream, right? You went through, you know, fundraising rounds, seed through Series C, so many successful rounds. And then you were purchased um, by Ad Labs, correct? After after about six years, and there was a lot of media around it. And I remember Boost Media as a marketing person. It was, you know, quite the thing back in the day. So tell us about that. You know, what was the motivation of starting it and kind of the whole journey? Because I find it fascinating. Yeah. So I was always interested in starting a business. Frankly, I would have been just as happy starting a zipper manufacturing company, probably. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I was working in FPNA for a company called Interval Leisure Group out of Miami. It was an IAC portfolio company at the time, and I was involved in the acquisition of a hotel chain in Hawaii, and I did all of the modeling and due diligence for it, a lot of the due diligence for it, presented it to Barry Diller at IAC, and we ultimately ended up purchasing this hotel chain. And when we started, we took over their digital marketing uh, the, the hotel chain that we had purchased, and we saw that their advertising was underperforming the benchmarks that we saw as you know where they should be hitting, and so we ended up creating a competition within our group at this company, Interval Leisure Group, to write better ads. The person who ended up being my co-founder for that business ended up challenging us to write you know seventy character text ads for better Google ads. It turned out we were able to write a better ad, and we felt like there was a really powerful dynamic at play there. And so ultimately, we ended up building Boost Media to allow for the crowdsourcing of ad text creative. And we also ended up building our SaaS software to support the marketplace, and the, the software performance managed the ad contributions. And so, you know, I think it's always gold as an entrepreneur when you experience a problem firsthand and mm -hmm. and that really turned out to be a wonderful problem to solve. How do you both generate ad creative as well as how do you um, ensure that you're running the best creative at all times? Yeah, it was very groundbreaking at the time because Google Ads, you know, is so, it's very challenging. It continues to be so. And it was such a fresh approach of looking at the problem. And so how was the fundraising journey? Because you went through so many rounds successfully and you raised so much money, which, you know, is very difficult to do. How was that journey? Yeah, I mean, I think... Ultimately, as a startup founder, you put a lot of time and energy into the whole fundraising process. And I think we ended up doing seven different uh, financing events while I was at Boost. And I think a lot of my experiences while I was at Boost really is sort of a second example of sort of getting this 
direct exposure to pain points that ultimately led to me founding OnPlan. And so I think it was my experiences both in the fundraising process as well as just frankly operating the business that really set the stage for wanting to start OnPlan. And I think what I was experiencing when I was running the business, Boost, was that there really wasn't an FPA software in the market until you got to maybe around 200 employee size. You know, at, the, at the time, sort of the low-end software that you could purchase with Adaptive Insights, I think it was called at the time, rather than planning. And so I just realized, and I was feeling like I wish there was a software platform that would both help me, or help me both to run the business as well as when it comes time for fundraising that would allow me to most effectively communicate the business dynamics. That's interesting, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because in our conversations and in the work we do, that's the challenging part in the fundraising round is telling the, the story around the numbers, right? Because the idea and all of that is, you know, the founders are so excited about it, but it's the numbers. So let's move into the inspiration around OnPlan. So after the acquisition of Boost Media, did you immediately move into creating OnPlan? I mean, I, well, I, I took a little time off, but I was running through the various ideas in my head. And the thing I kept on coming back to was, what's the thing that I'm passionate about? And in some ways, I think I, I think about myself as a 20-year Excel uh, spreadsheet nerd, really. Not not Excel, because now G sheets. Right, right. And I started. I started thinking about it, and I realized that spreadsheets are the one thing, the consistent theme through all of the roles that I've had. Whether it's been as an entrepreneur, I had a brief stint in venture capital, um, FP&A, and all you know, in all of those roles, I was intensively using spreadsheets. And I think that. Anyone who has spent a lot of time in spreadsheets has this love-hate relationship with them. And so you love spreadsheets because it's a coding language, I would argue. They're powerful, they're flexible, they're extensible. You have many billion-dollar companies that are running their entire mm-hmm. FP&A processes off of spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of on the, the love side of the ledger. But what's equally true is people hate spreadsheets. And they hate spreadsheets because you're constantly trying to import data into them. They're not integrated into your key data set sources. They're not visual environments. Mm -hmm. They're not collaborative um, in the ways that, you know, with roles and permissions. And spreadsheets are fundamentally Swiss army knives. You know, I think there's 2 billion spread, you know, Excel has 750 million users. G Sheets has hundreds of millions of users. And so they're designed as spreadsheets, but they're not optimized for the use cases of FPNA. And so things like uh, scenario analysis and things like variance analysis require a lot of extra effort to both produce and then sort of and to maintain over time. And as I thought about the company that I wanted to build next, I think the idea that I had was I'd love to build something where I can keep uh, the things that I love about the spreadsheets, i.e. their familiarity and the flexibility, and then fill in the deficiencies. And, and a lot of those deficiencies can be very easily addressed in a SaaS, in a SaaS platform, in a SaaS environment. And I think there was another key thing that I, that I thought about, which is the way that teams and people are doing FP&A has not evolved substantially in the past 20 or 30 years. You know, there, there have been purpose-built SaaS, um, SaaS tools for sales and marketing and HR and ops mm-hmm. and engineers make them more productive. But when it comes to finance, that's sort of the last team 
that is still working, you know, exclusively in spreadsheets. And as I started to think about it, I started to think that Excel and, and, and G Sheets, uh, when you're building your model, you're really acting as a software engineer. There's a lot of parallels to the engineering industries, but we haven't really adopted a lot of the best practices that are common in engineering. As an example, I think people build financial models in a very organic method. You don't necessarily start off with architecture. You don't map things out ahead of time. And in many cases, you end up with these sort of spaghetti models. People are not tracking the changes. They're not commenting the changes. And you're not sort of testing each individual component of the model. And, you know, the best practice that FP&A hasn't really been adopted yet is to separate the role of the builder and the QA team and, 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 and ultimately the end user. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs can relate to going into meetings and not being 100% comfortable with the numbers. And if you think about it, you know, like the person who's building the financial model has the unenviable role of also, in many cases, QAing the model. And what really ends up happening is the CEO or the board end up becoming uh, sort of the, 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 the QA team for the financing, which is a terrible dynamic. So ultimately, you know, wanted to build software that leveraged the, the, the strengths of spreadsheets. And that also helps people to adopt the best practices of, of the engineering world into the FP&A world. That is such an excellent answer because, first of all, you explained the, the need so well and the problem out there. I've heard that from so many people on the Berkeley team about spreadsheets that love, hate, and where, you know, it hinders FP&A. And then the, the need that you're trying to solve, you can just hear your passion around it. So tell us then more about OnPlan and how you're solving for that, because that's what I hear all the time when I interview founders on the show is that nervousness about the numbers in their pitches, right? That that's where they're going to fall apart, because that's the part you know least. Totally. So I think um, the first thing that's, you know, so the way that we accomplish this dream of sort of, or this goal of, of, of giving you the best of both worlds, giving you the best of spreadsheets as well as the best of software, we're actually, we built OnPlan on top of Google Sheets. And so essentially what we're doing is we've added data integrations, data visualizations, roles and permissions, uh, scenario forecasting, you know, uh, and variance analysis natively into a SaaS layer. And then we've also built out a multi-dimensional database because spreadsheets are awesome for many things, but the more data you put into them, the less performant they become. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've added both a database as well as these FP&A power tools onto Google Sheets to, to make the team more powerful. Uh, and to really give them a force multiplying tool like every other department. And one of the unique things about OnPlan is you can log into OnPlan and use it direct, directly from there. You can build formulas, you can run variance analysis, but you can also use it directly in Google Sheets. So you literally do not have to give up your spreadsheet mm -hmm. for the modeling work that you have. And so, you know, I guess the, the analogy that I like to use is that we're giving you what I would call an Iron Man suit or sort of superpowers mm -hmm. for your Google Sheets. Uh, spreadsheets and, and, and models. And then, you know, ultimately, why do you want to build a financial model? Like, why is it important to build a financial model? Why, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think there's really three key things from an end user perspective that are critical. One, I think is it's really important to over visualize your data. I think 
FP&A is too tabular. Mm. Uh, and so I think uh, just you're able to spot trends and understand performance much better in a visual format. I think the thing that OnPlan does head and shoulders, you know, I think it's really our strongest suit is the way that we do scenario forecasting. And I think at the end of the day, that's why you build a financial plan is to be able to generate what-if scenarios. And then, of course, what's equally important is to understand variance analysis and to understand how your, how your performance is deviating from, you know, your board-approved plan, from your internal operating plan. And so, you know, those are really the, the sort of the use cases, the, the, the data visualization, the scenario analysis, and the variance analysis that we've geared on plan towards. On plan towards. That's great, especially around the visualization, because that's where some of the best conversations happen, you know, when you can really see the trends and what's happening. And then the scenario planning, I mean, we all saw that with COVID. I mean, you know, our clients that were prepared could pivot a lot faster and, you know, they're doing really well right now. We saw some really great pivots. You can come out of those things stronger when you're prepared for them. hundred percent. I think you need the agility mm-hmm. to, to be able to generate the scenarios on the fly to be able to have the different teams contribute to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need the stakeholders, you know, the internal and external stakeholders. You need, you need a strong CFO partner, you know, mm-hmm. to help you to understand what the lever should be, what's the right number of factors to, to, to vary between them. But I think yeah, and for, you know, COVID has given us an appreciation for the need to, you know, reforecasting before could be, you know, forecasting could be an annual process. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all been seeing that really something that we need to be able to do on a much more, you know, on a quarterly, in the best case, on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that it really, I think the industry, you know, or the FP&A world, scenario planning is really front and center. Um, right. Do you have a success story you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of success stories, the thing that for me is the most gratifying is when customers have an array of options to choose from and, you know, helping them to guide this path of potential future outcomes. And I think the most stark example, this tends to be during fundraises uh, when you're preparing. And, and really, I think we're geared towards companies that are you know, Series A, Series B, Series C. And so watching these companies going through their fundraising processes, um, with, you know, watching them go public even, and, and watching the investors come in and evaluate the scenarios, sort of look, understanding what parts of the business they're drilling into, I think that's, that's really one thing that I found very gratifying. And then, you know, I think the other thing that I'm really excited and happy about is Ultimately, we've built the tool for finance teams, but really the vision and the hope is that this can be a a tool that that finance sort of cascades into the rest of the organization. And one of our clients has rolled this out actually to their entire organization, Uh, and it's pretty fascinating. And, And really the idea is that you have the SDRs have their views of their performance and their views of how the opportunities that they're generating are flowing into the account. And then you have the view for the account executive. They can understand if they're on plan, on target for hitting their metrics, their quotas, what their commissions are going to be. Uh, The finance team, of course, sees this all rolled up um, into an aggregate forecast. 
Uh, and really, it's sort of, you know, you see the cascading of these OKRs from the bottom to the top. The SDR understands these 15 opportunities that I'm generating. One, how, where is that relative to my, to my goals, my, my targets? You know, how is the SDR team contributing to the overall annual plan? You know, where are we at in that annual plan? And so you have the sales and the marketing teams and like the HR team as well, all understanding how their contributions within each of their functional areas contribute to the big picture goals of the company. And so ultimately, you know, I, I will judge our success. You know, I, one of the key things is how far and how prevalent, you know, we can sort of push into the entire organization, not just the finance department. That's fascinating because as somebody in a marketing role, you want that data. You want to be able to contribute to the overall strategic, you know, plan of the company and have that information to show where you are and where you can improve. Yeah, and I think it's even more than that. We want to facilitate discussions and conversations and where it's not just sort of a unilateral sort of like where there can be feedback loops and, you know, where you can take dollars from one channel, right. put them into a different channel, and even cross-departmentally, you know, what happens if we take this software purchase and sales and instead allocate it towards an extra, you know, product marketer, for example, right. but allowing feedback loops and, and really facilitating the collaboration mm -hmm. between departments and the scenario planning, the forecast, you know, sort of allowing marketing to understand various iterations of their plans. And we want to make it much more of a, a bi-directional conversation rather than sort of unilateral, like pushing and pulling. Right. And those feedback loops, those are what help contribute to, I think, you know, startups, some of their early successes. You have to be able to make those adjustments, I think, when you're running on those kind of tight margins, as you know. Yeah. You know, they, they, agility is the one true, you know, competitive advantage that startups have relative to incumbents. And you really want to maximize that strength as much as you can. I love that. So before I let you go, along those lines, any kind of last words for advice for startup founders, just because you've had such an successful run with Boost Media, and then now you're already in the midst of something that's incredible. I know any insight you have would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, two thoughts. I would say the first one, I think the thing that I've always found most helpful is to work backwards uh, in general and to constantly, you know, push yourself to think backwards, think backwards from milestones and really understand all of the investments that are necessary to get you there and to, you know, sort of reverse engineer, you know, but, but, you know, you have to be clear on what the thresholds are that you're targeting and then, you know, align your resources against those. And then, you know, I'm an, ex, you know, I'm a spreadsheet nerd, I would say, not just an Excel nerd. And I think being able to generate scenarios and being able to have a really strong core set of data in place, your actuals need to be good, your data set needs to be good. And once that's in place, you know, being able to, to generate multiple scenarios for the future, understand the implications of each of those, and use those to, to generate even more scenarios, I've found to be incredibly useful. Startups are very fluid businesses. You need to be putting yourself in a position to understand, like, am I on the right path? Do I need to course correct? And really, you're always course correcting and how hard do you need to pull your various levers. But so I think really to think backwards, one, and then two, just generate scenarios for the future 
to understand the implications of the course corrections you're constantly making. That's great. And I like how you f- you phrase that you're always course correcting because I've heard that from <laughs> other founders that that's how it feels. So hence why the scenario planning is so important. So how can listeners get more information on OnPlan? Yeah, so you can go to onplan.co and you can follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook or you can email me. I'm david at onplan.co. That's the best way to follow us. Fantastic. David, I know you're very busy, so thank you for taking the time to be here today. Really insightful conversation. It's always fascinating to hear from people who have done it and are doing it again. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Kate. Yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity, and thank you. You've been listening to Startup Success. To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Like what you hear? Tap the number of stars you think the show deserves in Apple Podcasts. For more tools and resources for your own startup success, check out berklandassociates.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.